Good morning, church. If you don't know me and it's your first time here, yeah, thank you guys. Good morning. If you don't know me, if you're first time here, my name is Brock, and I'm the lead pastor here at Agape, and uh, we're sort of being intimidated this morning, and just be with us and be together as a family. I feel like starting a lot because you feel uh, this overwhelming need to maybe jump in and serve and carry a bunch of weight, but there is equal value especially as a new church, to you just being here. Especially when people come for the first time that may maybe never been to church. If they walk in and, and it's more full and everyone who calls us their church is here, which would have this be way more full, um, and they see that it's full, there's gonna, it's going to break down mental barriers in their head if, if they've never been to church. And, but if they walk in and it's barren because um, we don't value attending, then it might just reinforce the fact that church is dead and Jesus has nothing for them. Um, and so what if simply showing up to church and being a part of something bigger than yourself would change someone's life? Also, for new people that come and seeing a, a room that's more full, it adds value to that too. It adds energy and we can go further faster by just having us all simply show up and just be here together. Um, so never underestimate the value of just showing up to church. And if you like what we're doing and, and you like what's going on and the direction that we're heading in, and you'd love to see this place full someday of people that hear the message of Jesus for the first time and receive hope and receive a relationship with him because that's what we want to do. If you want to be a part of that, we'd love to have you come and be a part of our community. And something really easy to do is just simply say, I'm going to show up here uh, more often than not. It's really as easy as that, and you can make a huge difference and be a part of something truly bigger than yourself and a part of something that we truly believe is going to change this west side of Minneapolis um, or the Bermuda Triangle of Minneapolis, as we call it, because if you don't know, we're right on the border of Minneapolis, St. Louis Park, and Golden Valley, and we're in this little region where there's not a lot of churches around us, and so we believe God brought us here specifically for a purpose, for a reason, because this is a hard place um, to be doing church. And so we believe God has us here special, and he has a special purpose for us here. So yeah, we'd love to have you join and be a part of us. Um, we are on part four of our sermon series called Bible Stories. Bible Stories. And this is a series where we're just walking through different parables that Jesus taught. And if you don't know, a parable is a way of teaching where a teacher would tell a fictional story. And in the fictional story, it was um, lots of deep existential meaning. And so Jesus taught in parables a lot. He would tell stories that had deep meaning for us uh, as followers of him and believers and about the kingdom. And so there's a lot that we can learn and apply to 2019, to where we are at and who we are right now, because um, Jesus is constantly teaching. He's so powerful that his words and his life transcends time, and it goes beyond his own existence. That's why we all say that Jesus is the great, greatest leader of all time. Um, but yeah, so we're just going to take the next several weeks and look through some parables and See what he can teach us from those. And so today we're looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. If you have your Bibles, that's Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Let's read that together. If you don't have your Bibles this morning, it's going to be up on the screen. 
He says this, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I'm going to say that one more time. Always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. We're going to stop there. Um, We don't find a lot about her adversary in this. I just want to point that out. The problem and the issue that, that in her life is barely even touched on. It's just half a sentence. What if we overemphasize the problems and the issues in our life when God wants them just to be half a sentence and we take half a sentence and turn it into a season? What if we take a half a sentence in our life and it takes years for us to get through what was only meant to be a half a sentence because I believe God is greater than your greatest problem. And he can lead us through. And when we're walking with him and following him, then then what might take a season in our flesh and might take years for us to carry ourselves through, when I'm walking with God, it's only half a sentence. It's only a blip on the radar. It's only a trip. And I get right back up and I'm walking with God. We're going somewhere. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now I read this and I'm wondering, what did this widow look like? Was she packing? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> she, you know, I don't know. I don't know if she had a big stick on her back or if she was a, a, a gardener or a farmer and she brought something sharp, if you know what I'm talking about. But he was scared. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, the Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? Let's pray. God, we just lean in this morning. We ask that wherever our walk is, if we come in here and we don't believe in you or maybe we're new to relation with you or we've been following you for years, Lord, I pray that you do something new in our hearts this morning. We want to leave this place more like you than when we walked in, ready to to change the world and make a difference, practically meet people's needs and show them your love. Lord, I pray for the weight and the burdens that some of us in here that have been carrying. I just sense that this morning. Some of us have been carrying hurt. Some of us have been carrying confusion, pain. Lord, we just pray that away and we speak against that in your name. We speak peace and wholeness, healing in your name. 
Amen. Amen. I love this parable because it's, it's really simple, but it's really profound. If you look at it, it's really simple, yet it's really profound. It says it all in verse 1 of chapter 18. It says, Jesus told his disciples to show them that they should always pray and not give up. It's really profound, but it's not that hard of a concept to grasp a hold of. I love this parable because for me it speaks to hope. And I don't know about you, but I feel like as I follow Jesus, a lot of times we know if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that you have hope if you have Jesus and you belong to him. Yet it's this strange paradox that I know what hope is and I know that I have full access to hope, yet my life sometimes feels so hopeless. Or my situation feels so hopeless. And so we end up not releasing all the hope that we have been given from God. And instead of releasing that hope and living in hope and walking with hope, we suppress the hope because we let a circumstance overshadow our hope. And so I don't know what that is for you individually this morning. I think that there's something that we all have that we're holding on to. And listen, it's not keeping us from hope because if you belong to Jesus, you have all the hope that you need. But what it's doing is it's blocking your hope from getting out. So I don't know what what it is for you specifically this morning. It might be anxiety. It might be insecurity. Maybe you don't feel good about yourself. Maybe it's a mistake or a regret from the past that, that you keep on holding on to, a burden that you're carrying into this season. Maybe it's a job, something practical. I, I don't know what it is this morning for you, but I just want you to think of what is blocking my hope? What's blocking my hope? Maybe you have severe anxiety about something, you're anxious, depression, stress, the unknown. What's blocking my hope? Because I think this morning we're going to look at this and unpack this a little bit, and I think it's going to help someone this morning who feels like your hope is being blocked. And it's so simple and it's so easy to grasp. And so I just have two points this morning, and you know what they are already, I think. The first one is this, always pray. Always pray. That's the first thing Jesus is telling us in this parable. He literally says it in the first sentence. He told them a parable so that they would always pray. Now, it's very obvious, but it doesn't say sometimes pray. It doesn't say pray when you feel like it. It doesn't say pray and give God thanks when things are going good. It says always pray. Always. Now, for those who don't know, before, before we started this church in January, um, 
I was on staff at a church as a youth pastor. It's called River Valley Church. And they have multiple locations all around the Twin Cities. And at each location, there is one or two campus youth pastors, okay? And I was one of the campus youth pastors, and I was at the Faribault campus of River Valley. So it's about an hour, 45 minutes south of here. And I was there for about three years, and, and it was awesome. Looking back at it, there was so much that God did in me, and he sharpened me in so many ways and prepared me for this step. Um, and so being part of uh, a team of youth pastors at each location, we were, we were really close, and there was a strong camaraderie, but we didn't get to hang out that often, if that makes sense, because... We were in different cities, so logic says <laughs> you're not together. I'm full-time in Faribault. My best friend, Anthony, was in Apple Valley, so we didn't see each other a lot. And then when we did see each other, it was for a meeting, which was intense because we were trying to change um, all the students in this city and in this region, and so we had a lot that we were going for. Um, and so we had really intense meetings together, and so we didn't get to hang out a lot. So I say all that to say, um, once a year, we did this thing called Youth Pastor Breakaway, and it was where we took a weekend, and the lead youth pastor, um, his name is Terry, he would take us all uh, somewhere for the weekend. It was like a field trip. <laughs> and so I remember the first ever breakaway, we went, um, we went snowboarding in Lutzen Mountain up north. And I grew up snowboarding, so I was really excited about this. And we, when we pulled up and we got there, I was really uh, pleasantly surprised because, no offense, this isn't a knock on Minnesotans, but you guys have, I didn't grow up here, and so when I moved here, I realized there's, you guys have a bias towards your state. Now, it's awesome because you love your state, but everything about Minnesota, according to Minnesotans, are a little, is a little bit exaggerated. If you're wondering about something practical, Minnesota Vikings, never been good. Never going to be good. So it's not going to happen. Yet you ask someone from here, and they're the greatest team in NFL history. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Okay. So everyone's talking about how awesome Lutzen is going to be. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. So we pull up, and, and it was actually awesome. It was a proper mountain, and it had long runs, and, and there was a lot going on, a lot to do. And it's actually so big that there's... Uh, two parts to it. So there's one side here, and the other side is over across, whatever, however you want to picture that in your head. And they're connected by a gondola. If you don't know, a gondola is one of those cart things that you pack into, and it brings you across the mountain. And so we all hopped in the gondola after we had done all the runs on one side, and we went to the other side, and we snowboarded slash skied some of the lesser of us skied. Just kidding. If you skied. <laughs> um, snowboarded and skied. We, we were there for like a long time. And then we hopped back on the gondola and it had stopped and we were just kind of waiting for it to go to the other side so we could get back home. Back, not home, but back to our lodge. And now we need to understand something. At this point, I'm a, I'm a youth pastor. And now I'm still shaking that off of me a little bit, so you'll see it come out every once in a while. Um, but I'm, 
I'm fully in, in immersed as a youth pastor. And we all, if you've grown up in church, you know you're a youth pastor. Um, and so I think it was 10 of us all together with nothing to do as a recipe for absolute disaster um, and chaos. And if you know some of them personally, you know that, like, there was nothing constructive happening. Um, and so I'm a youth pastor, and I'm an extreme person. I, I like to work hard, and I'm intense and involved and focused into stuff. And so I really do. I work hard, and then I check out, and I, and I play really hard. And so I was in the play mode. There, I, uh, this point like in my mind I'm barely even a Christian you know what I'm talking about like I'm I'm checked out um and one of the other youth pastors dared me to go off of the gondola and wait till it started moving and then James bond myself into the gondola last minute so of course I'm gonna do it so it starts moving and I and I run out and then uh the runway is long like to the end of the stage here and now I didn't know this in my defense. The door, for some reason, starts to shut right about like here, okay? So I'm back here, and in my mind, it's so epic, and I'm about to be James Bond to these people. The only problem is I'm Brock, and that doesn't equate to James Bond. And so I'm ready to sprint into this thing, <laughs> and, it, and it's going, and I start running slowly, and I was going to like jump off the edge last second into the gondola, have the door shut right behind my ankle and be a hero. Okay. What actually happened is the doors started shutting way before. And I was like, <laughs> I just kind of like flopped in. And I thought it would be like an elevator door where if you hit it, it would pop open. And that didn't happen. I hit the door and it just like shut right. I, all I got in was my arm, FYI. And it like shut on my arm. And then they ended up having to sh hit the emergency button and they shut down the entire gondola. And uh, they had, the guy had to pry the door open as I'm standing there. And <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't take my lift ticket. I'm so lucky. Um, and the worst part, of the whole thing is that I had to go into the next gondola, like the next car, and sitting in there was this dad probably in his 40s and his son who was like 10. And this dad was a big dude and very scary looking and very angry with me. And I just had to sit in across from him and he just like stared at me. You know the dad stare of, it's illegal to kill you and that's the only thing that's keeping you alive. You know that look? He stared at me. And it was shut down for like a half hour. And so I sat there <laughs> literally for a half hour. And I was like, I'm going to die. Like this. It's so uncomfortable. Uh, I say all that to say, isn't that how we live our prayer lives sometimes? Wait till the last second and... And then we try to jump right in. I pray when I need God practically in a moment. And then I disregard God 90% of the time. And then, yet we do that. 
and it shuts down the gondola, however that works or applies to your life, and then we blame God for not coming through when maybe it's not that God didn't show up to help us. Maybe it's that we waited too long to pursue him. Maybe God hasn't abandoned us, but we stopped pursuing him. This verse says to always pray. Not sometimes. It's a, it's a persistent, consistent call. Always pray. When things are good, pray. When things are falling apart, pray. But I bet you if we pray when things are good, then we'll have a better perspective and we'll be able to more strongly and more bravely walk through the bad. Maybe we shut down in the bad because we didn't pursue God well enough in the good. When things are good, it should be easiest to pursue God. Yet when things are good, we ignore God. Then we wonder where he is when things fall apart. And so maybe it's not our lack of, or God's lack of coming through for us, but it's our lack of consistently pursuing him that throws off our relationship with him. I feel like we know and we, we understand as followers of Jesus that we do need to be persistent in our pursuit of him. And yet we don't always do that. And so I was thinking, like, why? I know that I need to be persistently pursuing Jesus because I need Jesus just to survive, just to live my life. But why do I not always pursue him? And why do I wait till things are bad and throw up last-ditch effort prayers? And I think, and I would propose to us this morning that I think we get stuck in this cycle of the thrill of repentance. I think we get stuck in this cycle of the thrill of repentance. And what I mean by that is, um, doesn't it feel so good when we repent? I'm coming back to God. I was drifting away and now I'm back. I'm back in his arms. I'm back in good relation with him. I'm free of whatever I was just going through and you feel this weight lifted off your shoulders and you feel this freedom and you feel this breakthrough start to happen. But then instead of staying there, then things get good and then we start to drift. And then I think what we end up doing is we end up self-sabotaging so that we can have that thrilling feeling of repenting again. So that we can have the feeling of, of intimacy with God that we're longing for and that we're missing out on. And I just got to get back to that. And then we look back at how we got to that. And the way that we got to that feeling was in repentance. So I let myself wander. I let myself sin. And I essentially walk myself into sin so that I can have that thrill of repentance. Repentance. 
And so I think that if I just, if I do this, then, then, then when we repent, then we'll hit the breakthrough and then we'll get to the next level. But what if the next level looks, looks a lot less sexy than the repentance and feels a lot less good and is just a lot more of discipline and consistently and persistently pursuing Jesus? What if breakthrough isn't this crazy spiritual moment and it's just a lifestyle of pursuing Jesus so that I can keep my eyes on him constantly and when my eyes are on Jesus, they're not on my problems. They're not on my mistakes. They're not on my issues. They're not on my anxiety. They're on his peace. And then I can release and live in his peace, following him step in step. I think that's the lifestyle that we're calling to. Repentance is not an action. Repentance is a lifestyle. So I think we need to wake up and rise up this morning and let's live persistently seeking God. Prayer is a lifestyle. Let's not get caught in this thrill of repentance. Let's persistently seek Jesus because then when we fall, we can't help but get right back up and continue to pursue him. I think that is breakthrough. Learning how to always pray. Persistent. God's trying to teach us persistence this morning. Point number two is this. Never give up. Point number one, I always pray. Point number two, never give up. I know that's a, that, that one came from left field, didn't it? A lot of times the stuff that Jesus is trying to teach us is so simple, yet we overcomplicate it. And instead of just working with the simplicity that he's given us, never give up. Or in the words of the sage theologian Justin Bieber, never say never. (laughs) Never give up. Growing up, um, my, one of my best friends' name was Zach Meyer. And me and Zach are really opposite in style. He's athletic and he's very strong. And I'm, he has no tattoos. And I'm scrawny and not athletic, nor do I dress athletic. I just put on black every day and call it good. And, uh, and I'm covered in tattoos. And we don't have the same hobbies or anything, it's hilarious, but we have this soul connection, we're best friends. And so we hung out all the time in high school and I am impulsive, impractical, and especially back then I was just living for the adventure. I just wanted to go get lost and figure it out and that was fun. Um, Because if you don't know, I grew up in Ishpeming, Michigan. It's a small town in the Upper Peninsula and you either do drugs or you go on an adventure. And so we chose adventure. Now, Zach is very practical, very smart, and he was very content in being inside or just going on a run is what he would want to do for fun. And that's not fun. That sounds like a small form of torture. So I'm not going to do that. 
And so, Zach, I would always suggest these things for us to do. And I had to, he would say no. I just had to wear him down to nothing. And I can do it. People think I'm an incredible leader, but I'm not that great. I just will wear you out, and I will continue to ask you and bug you, and I'm relentless. Um, <laughs> so there was this one time that um, it was midnight, and so it's pitch black, obviously. It's the middle of summer, and there was this waterfall that we'd always go and jump off of. Um, it was probably about as high as the ceiling down. Um, it was awesome. And so in order to get there, though, you had to drive about an hour from my house, long, and then you had to hike for about 20 to 30 minutes. And I wanted to go jump in at night because I thought, how cool will this be if you jump in and you can't see the bottom and you're just like free falling and then you hit water? This is going to be awesome. Um, I guess I was insane. I don't, I don't know, but I really wanted to do this. And Zach was very much against it because, A, it was already midnight. It was an hour to get there. B, uh, to hike through the forest. If you've ever been to Upper Michigan, it is not residential. It's forest. Not woods. Forest. Wolves, bears, forest, okay? Think Canada. And so he's like, Brock, this is so stupid. We're not going to do this. Yes, we are. And I, and I wore him out. And... Here, here was the linchpin was, Zach, it's my birthday. Because it was. And then, then he was like, ah. Okay. So me, Zach, and our friend Connor Olds went out uh, to this waterfall. And we had to walk there in the dark with a really crappy flashlight. It was actually terrifying. I didn't let Zach know that I was scared. Um, but if we're being real, we're all scared of the dark in the middle of the woods unless... You're way, way, way beyond me. Um, but I'm, I was terrified. We kept walking. I kept thinking that either a panther or a serial killer was going to get me. There was only two options. Death was both. Um, <laughs> then we finally, after it was like a half hour, we finally made it out to this waterfall. And we get there, and we shine the light down, and it's just like a dark pit. And then Zach looked, he's like, I'm not doing that. And I looked, and like my soul came alive, and I was like, "Yes." And so we had a, we turned the lights off, no flashlights, and I jumped into this pit, and nothing bad happened. You were expecting something bad, but I made it safe. It was one of the more intense moments of my life because it's a, it's a far jump, and I didn't see the bottom, and it was the weirdest, weirdest feeling because it's like. Your stomach is sinking, and you don't know where you're falling to. And all of a sudden, you hit this weird, like, cold surface, and it was really, really trippy. I don't know, lack of a better word. Really weird. It was awesome. Now, I would have never had, I look back fondly on that because of many reasons. It's a great memory. It was a really cool experience. And because I had victory over Zach. Um, <laughs> write that taking notes. Just kidding. <laughs> but it would have never have happened if I would have gave up. And I wonder how much of our lives we're missing out on, how much of the fullness of God, how much of his purpose and his destiny that we are missing out on because we give up and we throw in the towel too early. What if 
We're one step away from our breakthrough. What if we're one step away from stepping fully in to God's fullness and his destiny and his purpose for our lives and we just give up when we only have one step to go? What if us taking one more step will change the world? I'm here to tell someone this morning to just keep walking. Let's keep going forward. Let's keep pushing, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we're overwhelmed, even when we're scared. Just keep moving forward. Don't give up. As a new church, we're going to live by that. We are not giving up. We're not giving up because there's too many lost, hurt, broken people. There's too many hopeless people. And we're the only ones that have hope that can tell them about Jesus. And so we can't give up. We're going to keep going, and I'm going to keep preparing my messages. I'm going to keep pursuing Jesus passionately in private so that we can lead strong and tell people about Jesus with conviction in this place. And I'm going to keep pushing us to live lives of service, of people. Listen, if there's one message I have to to the church body, not just here, but all over the country this morning, it's this. Stop waiting for the church to make an organized program for you to serve at and start living a life that's surrendered to God that just says, I just want to love people well. The world isn't going to change from the church organizing more service events. The world is going to change when Christians take personal responsibility for their lost and broken neighbors. Am I talking to anybody this morning? We got to go. Can't wait. Everywhere we look, there's someone that needs hope. So why are we holding in the only thing that can change their lives? We can't give up. We're not giving up as a church because there's too many people that need Jesus. In your personal life, don't give up. Don't give up. I feel like we get caught. I talk about this every once in a while. I feel like we get caught in this pursuit of purpose or destiny. And so we start chasing this destiny or this calling or this thing. God has this something for me to do. But what if at its essence, your destiny is just to follow Jesus? What if your destiny is just to not give up? And then wherever you're led to, following Jesus well and loving people well, that's fulfilling your calling. That's fulfilling your purpose. That will change the world. We don't need more pastors preaching on a stage. We need more Christians passionately pursuing Jesus and loving people off stage. I don't want to fill this church with, with people who we can just come and gather and talk about Jesus for 25, to, if it's me, 55 minutes on a Sunday that aren't going to do anything with it. That's not going to change the world. Crowds don't change the world. Personal 
relationship with people, loving people, that changes the world. Don't give up. Band, you can come up. We need to be perseverant, is what I'm trying to say. Perseverant. In other words, I think we just need to, at our essence as followers of Jesus, we need to learn, and I'm talking to myself, we need to learn to be faithful. Be faithful with what you've been given, where you've been given, where you are. Be faithful. Because, listen, God does not use talented people to change the world. He uses faithful people to change the world. doesn't matter how much talent or ability or gifting you have. If you're not faithful with it, nothing will change. It's not about you. And it doesn't matter if you feel and buy into the lie that you don't have anything to offer. If you, all you feel like you have to offer is your faithfulness, that's great. That's a great place to start because that's all you need. Don't ever disqualify yourself because you feel less gifted. Because faithfulness is so much greater than gift and ability. I would trade all my talent for a more faithful heart. Doesn't matter how good I am at preaching if I'm not faithful. Let's be faithful. Let's raise up a generation of faithful, consistent Jesus followers. Let's be passionately and persistently pursuing Jesus by ourselves. Persistence. Plus perseverance equals process. That's my message this morning. Is persistence plus perseverance equals process. Now, when I was writing this, I originally wrote persistence plus perseverance equals breakthrough. And that would have been really easy to preach and we had everyone going, but then I thought about it, and not only is that not a P, <laughs> but more importantly, it's not true. It's not true, or I should say, it's not completely true. What if following Jesus is less about the breakthrough and more about the process? I think we get fantasized with this breakthrough. I gotta get to this next level. I gotta become this person. I know there's more inside of me that I, have, that I have to give. I know I can be better. And then we wait and we wait and we wait till we become this certain person. Then we're ready. But listen, we are never ready. There's not enough hoops for us to jump through. And then we fantasize about our breakthrough and we get stuck on this breakthrough and then that gives us a false misconception on who Jesus is. I grew up and have spent most of my adult life thinking that Jesus is waiting for me on the other side of my breakthrough. But if you believe that this morning, I came to tell someone, Jesus is not waiting. He is with you right now. Jesus is not the God of your breakthrough. He is the God of your process. He's not on the other side of the lake. He's with you in the boat. We don't have to wait. He's with us.
So let's stop striving and let's just accept the gift that he's given us. He's with you. He's not waiting. He's with us. Emmanuel means God with us. Not God is waiting for us. He's with us. Jesus is the perfect example of this because he literally is God who stepped into human history. He didn't wait for us to become better. He became us. You don't believe it? That's who he is. Jesus is with us. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're holding, whatever you're carrying, I want to encourage you to always pray, be persistent, and never give up. Have perseverance. And that'll lead you to what? The acceptance of process. Because I don't think that breakthrough equals freedom. I think that accepting reality equals freedom. And even though you haven't reached your breakthrough, you can get to your breakthrough with freedom. Because if Jesus is freedom, then we have him with us. And so we can walk into freedom hand in hand with freedom. So we're not going to wait this morning. We're just going to spend some time pursuing him. We're going to sing the chorus of this song a few times in the bridge says this, you are good. I love that because that's either depending on where you're at this morning, it's either a declaration or it's a reflection. What I mean by that is you might feel like God is so good and you're so close to him. That's a reflection. I'm saying, God, you are good. And my life right now is good. And I'm going to praise you right now and pursue you right now in the good. Or it's a declaration because maybe your life looks like a mess and things are falling apart. And so you can declare that even though it doesn't look like it, even though I'm not seeing it, God, I decide to speak over my situation that you are good. My circumstance may not be good, but God, you are good. And so I give you my struggle. I give you my circumstance because you are good.